The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Motherhood Unstressed, a podcast for anyone who wants to let go of stress and anxiety, take their power back, and learn how to create a truly beautiful life. Each week, I'm speaking with amazing individuals who are experts in the field of entrepreneurship, fitness, nutrition, motherhood, sex, and so much more. I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. I'm a mom, a blogger, and a certified health coach. I'm obsessed with personal growth and change, and I've helped women all around the world regain alignment with what they truly value in life and remove the blocks preventing them from living their life to the fullest. If you're ready to stop living a half-life and move fully into your power, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey guys, this was a very different episode for me. Um, It was extremely personal, um, talking with my two sisters. Dr. Kate Hendricks-Thomas is my older sister, and she has been diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. And my other sister is uh, Joyce Tito. She's a nurse practitioner in the field of oncology, which is cancer. Um, So I really wanted to have a well-rounded conversation on the topic of cancer, what it means when you get that diagnosis, what you go through, the ups and downs emotionally, and then also the medical side, you know, good questions you can ask your doctor and, you know, as a, as a family member, how you can support that person who has cancer and then just what it's really like to go through. Um, and so I think my sisters do a really great job covering all aspects of, you know, the cancer diagnosis and treatment. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have all known someone who has gotten cancer. And so I think this was a really important conversation to have. And I'm just so grateful that they both agreed to do it because obviously it's a really hard thing to talk about. But I feel like the more we all talk about hard things, um, the more we process them and bring light to them. And when you bring light to anything, it disinfects. So I'm just so grateful for this, for this conversation. And I'm grateful for you listening to it. Thanks so much. This episode is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi offers completely non-GMO organic superfood blends that makes incorporating really good nutrition into your diet insanely easy. You literally do not have an excuse not to get your fruits and veggies anymore because they've done all the work for you. And if you use the code UNSTRESSED, you will receive 15% off your purchase at OrganifiShop.com. Lastly, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. If this is a company you haven't heard of, believe me, in the next year or two, you will. They are doing amazing things in the world of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with their hot cacao with reishi, which is something I'll drink before bed every night. And it's just so relaxing, so calming, and so good for you. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Also, if you love coffee, but you hate the way it makes you feel like jittery, stressed, just not well, then they have a ton of uh, mushroom blends for coffee. Uh, They also have a really good matcha. So go to foursigmatic.com and use the code unstressed to save 15% off. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, This show is going to be a little bit different because I have both of my sisters on with me today. And I had the thought for this show because I feel like this is a topic that affects so many people. And, you know, 
there's really not that much anecdotal evidence out there or, you know, stories out there of people dealing with this in real time. And I am in the unique position of having a sister with cancer and another sister who is in the field of cancer and oncology. So I feel like I was in a good position with the show to really bring those two worlds together and just to have an open and honest conversation about it. And I'm just so thrilled that my sisters agreed to do it. So thank you guys for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. So I just kind of want to start by giving the audience a little bit of background about you both. So we're all on the same page. Um, Kate, why don't you start kind of by telling us a little bit about you and where you are and what you do and all of that. And then Joyce, I'll ask you the same. Sure. Uh, Well, so my name is Kate Hendricks Thomas, and I'm a public health professor and uh, a writer and a speaker. I live in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, In another life, I was an officer in the Marine Corps, and I spent six years as a military police officer uh, traveling all over the world. I today am really happy to live in one place and uh, spend a lot of time with my near and dear. And Joyce? My name is Joyce Tito, and I currently um, am a nurse practitioner. I live in Tampa, Florida, and I've been working in the medical oncology field as a nurse practitioner for about four years now. Prior to that, I was a registered nurse working in the hospital setting at the VA hospital here in Tampa, um, doing inpatient medical oncology. Um, so while I was doing that, made the decision to go back to school and get my master's and kind of hone in on a, a specialty, a focus, um, which ended up being adult oncology. So I've been doing that and I, you know, I, it's been a huge learning experience for me and every day is different, you know, from the past. So, but um, I do enjoy it, and I'm, you know, just trying to do the best I can. I'm a new mom and uh, married a couple years ago, so just trying to balance it all right now. Yeah, and Kate, you're a mom too. I am. I am. Uh, my son just turned four. Yeah, a lot of boys in this family. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of, I kind of want to jump right in. Um, Hey, tell us about the process of how you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer. Um, take, take us back to that first, those first couple doctor's appointments and how you even found out because you're so young, you know, it's not something that you would think to get checked for. Well, um, about a year and a half ago, my husband and I were going to try to have a second baby and we got right to the point where we were going to start trying and we chickened out. So I went to my medical provider and talked about talked about some options to make sure we didn't have a second baby. Uh, a year and a half goes by and we're finally ready to start trying again. And I go back to that provider and just make sure everything is, is good for that process. And she told me, um, you're super healthy. Uh, I hope this goes well. You'll, by the way, start getting mammograms at about 45. I had another appointment with my primary care provider at the Veterans Administration, which I really just kept to stay current and stay current in that system. And when I saw the primary care provider, she told me, because of where you've been uh, stationed, I want you to go get a mammogram. Well, 
I argued with her. I was 37 years old. I thought it was unnecessary. And I was very surprised by her suggestion. So I was, I skipped the first mammogram. I finally rescheduled it and went in thinking that we would do it very quickly and nothing would come of it. I got called back for multiple rounds of um, ultrasounds and eventually biopsies and then eventually a CT PET scan. And the whole process is difficult to describe because after, after you see the radiation techs and they find something, I didn't really believe them when they told me they had found something. I thought they were just doing extraneous testing. You start seeing a million and one doctors and the whole process starts moving incredibly quickly. So that period is a complete blur to me. What I do remember is getting a phone call from my medical oncologist saying, we got your CT PET results. I want you to come in. And it was her nurse who had called me and I said, oh, well, that's that sounds bad. Why do I need to come in? And she was a gifted actress. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, we have everybody come in. They just want to talk you through things. And so I really did walk into that appointment thinking they would tell me that you know cancer was hadn't spread too far and I was looking at an easy surgery. And that's not what they told me. Um, They told me that I had metastatic cancer spread throughout my skeletal system, that what I was looking at was surgery and traditional chemotherapy not being useful because it was already what they called stage four, which meant nothing to me at that time. And again, that period is a blur. I even have trouble kind of recounting the story. I had to go and do a ton of research after that appointment because I wasn't really sure. I think I called Joyce and said, what does all of this mean? Mm -hmm. Um, What I do remember asking her was, how long do I have? And she gave me a number and it wasn't a very big number. And all I could think was my son is a toddler. You know, Mm -hmm. that, that number doesn't work for me. Yeah. And Joyce, I'm curious, um, is the process that Kate just described, is that pretty typical? I mean, and then to add on to that, like, have you seen an increase in younger women coming down with this? Yeah, so, you know, typically, you know, when patients come to us, they're coming maybe because they've just had a biopsy or, you know, they felt something and the workup needs to get started. And yeah, it's definitely a ramp up process, you know, with tests, you know, scans, blood work and biopsies and go see this person, go see that person, you know, because <clears throat> not one doctor does every single thing. Um, so it can be very, very overwhelming for people. And I definitely see that in them when they're going through this. And, you know, I, I hear that a lot actually um, with patients, you know, but I think once you, all of that is done, and you know where you stand, you, you come up with a plan of action and then, you know, they kind of get used to their routine and, you know, quote unquote, their new normal, you know, if you ever really do. Um, but things tend to <clears throat> settle down somewhat, you know, after all of that, but the beginning is, is super overwhelming. I, I definitely see that. Um, and just to answer your other question, you know, unfortunately we, we are seeing more, younger women, um, coming down with these, I mean, breast cancer in general, but some of them with some very aggressive forms. 
um, you know, no family histories in some cases, you know, it's no, it's not necessarily a genetic link. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's definitely, definitely a trend. And Kate, I know you had posted some articles about a staggering number of military women with breast cancer. Can you speak a little bit about that and the research that you've done on that? Well, um, what we have found is a an overrepresentation of young women veterans with uh, with veterans in general with exposure based cancers, um, respiratory blood and breast cancer. And theories abound. We don't know. We know kind of what it's correlated with, but we don't know what's causing it. Um, what I will tell you is, in a deployed environment, you drank water that came out of those plastic water bottles that BPA leaches from. Those water bottles would sit in the sun out in the desert heat. Um, There were burn pits in the deployed environment. So we're seeing a lot of health ramifications from the way that the military and the contractors that were working for the military were processing trash simply by burning it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think I will ever know. All I know is I have no family history for or or any genetic predisposition for this. I don't think we'll ever know why I have it, but uh, I do know that there are a lot of women veterans uh, struggling with breast cancer, numerically overrepresented. Right. That's pretty shocking. And do you think that, you know, as a whole that, you know, people are aware of it and there's, there's more attention being brought to it? Or is when you had that article come out, was that, was it, was it shocking to people? Did people not know? Or is it more, I don't know. I'm just curious. I think a lot of people were surprised. I heard from a lot of women with whom I served and they wanted to know if they should go get mammograms. Mm -hmm. I told the story of my VA physician telling me I needed to get a mammogram well before the recommended age because of where I'd been deployed. I tell that story to everybody who will listen because I mean, she added years to my life by forcing Mm -hmm. me to go get diagnosed. And, you know, whatever she had seen anecdotally or whatever research she has read uh, told her that it was important um, for for people who had been overseas. So I think in my voice, you hear a whole lot of, I don't know. There's a lot we don't know about exposure-based cancers. I can't even say for sure that Um, that's definitely what I'm dealing with. That's what I suspect I'm dealing with. Yeah. And I think it's important. I mean, that voice inside of us is usually right. You know, if we can listen to it, I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. So once you found out, um, and, and you had gone through all these tests, you know, the, the initial whirlwind had kind of settled down. Um, what was your treatment plan like? What did that entail for you? Well, um, Originally, they told me I was going to have to do a couple of rounds of standard chemotherapy. So I booked a an appointment at my hair salon to go get my hair cut in this very punk rock, edgy haircut because I was, they told me I was going to lose my hair. Uh, then I got a phone call saying, your treatment, this is during the workup process where it was so busy, your treatment plan has changed. You're now going to take a couple of oral chemotherapies and you're maybe not going to lose your hair. So uh, I didn't get my hair cut into something really super cool and edgy, <laughs> but um, I am on a series of drugs, more drugs than I ever thought I would be on. And I have things that I take daily. And then I have injections that I get monthly. 
and uh, we see how that goes. I go get uh, scans every three to four months to see if the drugs are working to stop spread. And what have the side effects been like for you? Oh, they're, they've been really interesting. Um, and nobody wants to, nobody wants to hear you complain about it, but it's been very frustrating. I'm used to having a lot of energy. I'm used to working a lot and parenting and, you know, not needing that much sleep. And I have, um, I've really had to slow down. So you, you have, at first it was headaches and, and pain, and now it's more like nausea and fatigue, but, mm-hmm. um, no matter what, it's just, it's required me to slow down. Right. And Joyce, um, so this has been, you know, Kate's journey with her specific diagnosis. How are the treatment plans different um, for each individual case? Uh, And you don't need to get too into the weeds, but just, you know, how are, for someone listening to this who might not have stage four, you know, how would it be different for them? Yeah. So, you know, treatment plans can vary, you know, greatly across the board, even when you're just talking about breast cancer in and of itself, there's, you know, multiple variables that are looked at, you know, regarding the the individual's tumor and characteristics of the tumor itself and, you know, markers that either exhibit, exhibits or does not exhibit because all of that is really important. Um, And of course, staging, right? Um, So, can you talk Whether a little bit about through. staging? Like what, if someone who is listening who really doesn't know what that is, can you go through the stages real quick? Yeah, so well, so stages um, for all malignancies, breast included, um, range from one to four. So one being the earliest stage four, of course, being metastatic, meaning the cancer has spread to a distant site from where it started. Um, so in Kate's case, it started in the breast and then traveled to the bones. Um, making it stage four. So when you're looking at staging, you're looking at the tumor, the size of the tumor, how, how big is the primary tumor? Um, are there any surrounding lymph nodes that are involved? Um, you know, we all have lymph nodes in our bodies, you know, um, they're everywhere. And they're really a main way of how these cells travel through your body, um, through your blood and your lymphatic system. Um, so when they're doing scans or they can biopsy a lymph node to determine if it's positive, um, and a lot of times scans can help, you know, determine that as well, um, that, that is a factor as well. So if there are any lymph nodes involved, you know, and if so, how many or where they may be located in the body affects staging as well. And then of course, is there any evidence of, you know, distant cancer from where it started? Then of course that, um, increases the stage as well. So if it's and all of these things, you know, the stage, the stage and the tumor characteristics, all of that dictates the treatment plan and, and helps guide where you need to go. Okay. So is it just like maybe stage one and two, you get the chemo and radiation, and then three and four, you take something orally, or how does that work? No, not necessarily. Um, you know, typically with most stage four, you know, breast cancers, you don't always, you know, you don't do surgery up front. Because, you know, it's already traveled far away. So you're trying to, you know, you need to get systemic control. And the best way to do that is by taking something that's going to travel through your blood lymphatics um, to shrink things down. Um, You know, there's data in some, you know, malignancies that if at some point removing the primary mass um, may actually improve long-term survival, you know, um, but 
you know, most cases, if you can get good control and it's the primary mass itself, or there's not an area that's causing a lot of problems, you know, whether, you know, some kind of an obstruction or pain or something like that, then, you know, surgery is not, not typically indicated in stage four disease upfront like that. Okay. And, and for someone listening, or, you know, I'm sure Kate already asked you this, but what are some really good questions that a patient should ask their doctor? You know, they've just gotten the diagnosis, you know, they're, they're dealing with all this emotional and and physical stuff going on. What are some really great questions that they should be asking and making sure that their doctor is aware of? Um, I think in general, just having a good understanding of their diagnosis in their stage and what that means, um, you know, and kind of, I think it's helpful sometimes for people to understand, okay, I'm a stage two. What does that mean? You know, can you mm-hmm. tell me how you arrived to that? You know? Um, and I think, you know, what we do with our patients when we see them initially and they have a new diagnosis like this, um, you know, the doctor that I work for and like, we all explain really well, you know, kind of, more in depth of the pathophysiology of, you know, how this happened, you know, just talking about the blood and the lymph nodes and what's involved and what that means, because we really feel like it helps them understand that, okay, this is what you have because it's this way. This is why we're recommending what we're recommending. And I think it just kind of helps bring things full circle. Um, because then once you have your plan, then you can go through all of that in detail because that in and of itself, kind of, a, you know, is a whole nother conversation, right? Um, so, you know, initial visits can be very overwhelming um, <clears throat> when it's a lot of new information. You know, it's all kind of a foreign language, um, you know, to most people. So they're just, and, and at the same time, you know, you're, they're having to deal with this diagnosis emotionally. So it can be a lot, absolutely. Yeah, Kate, I'm curious, you know, what's been, I mean, it's just been a shock to the whole family, but what's been the hardest part for you? Has it been the physical ramifications of the treatment or has it been the emotional? Um, The hardest part for me definitely is thinking about my son and thinking about what is going to happen um, when his mom slows down, gets sick, um, dies. I I think that's the only part that I have a really tough time with. Um, That's the part I can't even really put into words. He's such a little love. He just, this feels like it's going to be unfair for him. Mm. It is, it is unfair. It's unfair for you. It's, you know, definitely unfair for him. And it, you know, kind of what you were saying before, you know, we suspect that this might be exposure related, you know, from your deployments, but at the end of the day, you know, things like that can, it's going to, that's going to take a lot of time and money and research to really pinpoint, um, you know, for veterans, unfortunately. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's terrible, but sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason. You know, I've seen so many like super healthy individuals come into our office young like in their 40s come in and have an you know an aggressive metastatic cancer and you're just like how does this happen there's no genetic component you know we run all the tests that way everything's fine um but yet they walked in and they have this this diagnosis it's really it's really wild to to think about 
Joyce, I'm so amazed by you, like dealing with this day in and out, in and out, and then just like actually choosing this as a profession. I mean, the emotional toll that that would take on you, um, you know, as, as a woman, as a mother, um, how do you handle that every single day? Um, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. You just, I work with a really good team, I feel like, and, you know, we support each other a lot and you just kind of have to take each week, you know, week by week, day by day. You definitely, you know, meet people that you become connected with and get attached to, um, and things happen and sometimes they don't work out and that can be really hard, but, you know, it's never, it's never like maybe you want to say, okay, well, I'm not going to do this anymore because Mm -hmm. I think like I would rather be the person like there for them than not be there. Well, and I'll just say, I'll just say, you know, Joyce for me has been a calm, clinical, clear voice. I call her after pretty much all doctor appointments so she can explain what the heck just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've been a huge blessing to me. I can't imagine the blessing that you are to your patients. I mean, the, the, the strong, calm clinical voice is exactly what people need. And, um, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're there and that you know the things you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I, and I don't know. And I think sometimes maybe is that why I ended up here? You know, is that why I'm doing what I'm doing? Like in some twisted way, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. So for those of us who aren't calm or collected like Joyce, i.e. me, um, <laughs> what, how, how do people best support you, Kate, or someone with cancer? You know, you, you, you hear this happen and you're like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, how do I support you? What, what should people do to support you and what shouldn't they do? Um, I have not wanted to, I don't mind talking about this. I've been very open about the process, but what has meant the most has been people that have said, let me watch your kids so you can take a nap or let me, some, some of my best friends traveled to see me because, you know, we don't all live in the same place and said, let's spend, let's spend a weekend together. Let's spend some time together. So I think, I think it's just been wonderful to have people say, we hope you're going to be around for, you know, for much longer, but let's, let's actually do what we say that we're supposed to do and, you know, live today for today and spend a little bit of time together. That has been very appreciated. I love that. I love that. So how has your life changed since this initial diagnosis? How have you shifted your priorities in life? I mean, you're still working full time. Um, you're obviously, you know, you're doing the mom thing full blast. Um, but how have other aspects of your life changed or have they? Well, um, we, we relocated, um, because of this diagnosis and that has been a huge quality of life improvement. Um, we now live closer to some family and some old and dear friends. And, you know, I actually teach people about resilience and social support, but I didn't have a lot of it where I was, uh, living previously. So we made some really big changes, some radical changes. Um, I am, 
I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to work because I love my work. For me, work feels like recreation. It feels like fun. So I need to scale back and spend, you know, more time with my family and work less, but I really do love my work. So I, I'm really trying to, I'm still trying to find the balance there. Um, but how else has it changed? I'm just a little slower. I would say I used to, uh, I used to probably move a little faster and produce a little bit more, but I'm still writing and researching and uh, trying to make a difference in, in my little corner of the world. And what keeps you motivated to, to keep going, even though you're dead dog tired and you're not, you know, you're achy and you're just, you know, you're dealing with this heavy weight on your shoulders. What keeps you going? Well, I don't think about it that often, um, unless I'm exhausted and I need to take the 20 minute power nap, which, uh, I am unashamed about doing these days. <laughs> I, I used to, I used to be a little more reticent about such things, but at the end of the day, I am my son's favorite human. Um, mm. You know, my little boy really loves mom and I want to be as present and as physically engaged and as positive and as together as I can be for him. I mean, I have a family to take care of. So I think about them. Does he know um, about your cancer? No, he he sort of understands that mommy sees doctors and when the diagnosis happened, he saw some adults crying a, li a little. I think he knows that something happened, mm -hmm. but he's so young. He doesn't really understand the, the extent of it because I don't think I really understand the extent of it. Some of the drugs that I'm on are so new. I don't know if that number my oncologist gave me is accurate. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if I have a year. I don't know if I have decades and it's, and what's funny and incredibly humbling about that is you ask me what's changed in my life. You know, none of us know the hour or the day and God has a plan for all of us. And it's always been that way, right? I never knew if I had a day or I had decades. Now I have cancer and it's still the exact same thing. Um, so in some ways it's been very humbling because I'm making choices thinking, all right, you may not have the rest of your life to do this, so do it. And I always should have been living that way and thinking mm. that way. That statement alone is so powerful. Like that just gave me chills because I think that that's so true. You know, we don't know when our time is up. We really don't, you know, we could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So to live in the moment, fully present um, and just appreciate life, you know, as it is right now, I think it's just such a gift to our listeners for you to have said that. Well, it's hard to do. It's easy to get busy and to get caught up. And I like to get puffed up with my own self-importance. Like I'm very important at this meeting. I'm just needed. Mm -hmm. um, and it's easy to get swept into the frenzy. Have you felt kind of a death of ego since this happened? <laughs> I don't think any of us can die to our own egos. Um, <laughs> but I have been thoroughly humbled. Yes. Mm. And Joyce, I'd like for you to speak a little bit about what Kate was talking about, you know, about all these new drugs coming out. I mean, what does this really mean in the landscape of treatment these days? Because you're really at the cutting edge. So, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, the, what she's on right now, that she's on a combination of, of drugs. And one of them, you know, wasn't even out 10 years ago. It wasn't even out, you know, seven years ago. Um, so they're really working like their data is really moving more towards 
targeted therapies for various tumor types. Um, so when we say that, we don't mean like, okay, this is what you have. We're going to target this breast cancer. So they're really able to run all of these tests and, you know, uh, find all of these markers or proteins or, you know, within the tumor itself, really studying the genetics of the tumor, uh, not the individual, and mm-hmm. then try to go after certain areas within that profile, um, you know, to try to get rid of the cancer. It's really remarkable. And that's really the direction that oncology is moving in general. Um, you know, so I don't even know, like, who's to say what will, you know, be available to us in five more years, you know? So, and there's just, you know, so so much research going on. It's, it's a lot. And it's kind of, I mean, it's a good thing, you know, because, it, you know, when you have metastatic cancer, you really, you're trying to get as much mileage out of each line of therapy that's available to you as possible, right? Um, so even if, you know, you're taking something and then, you know, maybe at some point things change and there's a progression, you know, there, you know, are other options then is the, is the whole idea, you know, so you can kind of go down the menu of options. Um, so it's always, you know, you always want new things coming down the pipeline that could, you know, kind of widen your menu, you know, um, just in case you don't tolerate something or it just doesn't work. Have you heard of anything um, in regards to like artificial intelligence? Like um, Sam was on a flight the other day and he was sitting next to this guy who was in like the realm of like cardiology. And he was saying how, you know, they put like a little tiny robot into your vein and it can like shoot back images going up your, your vessel, basically. I mean, is there anything like that for cancer? I mean, I haven't heard anything like that. I mean, I did see, um, you know, I saw something, um, you know, you've heard of that um, computer Watson, Mm -hmm. how they basically had a human, like a physician, and then compared to Watson, um, you know, diagnosing somebody and then, you know, running through uh, treatment options with that person. So let's say for cancer, for example, Um, and so the doctor would recommend a plan and then Watson, you know, the difference would be, you know, Watson would typically have, they would have the same plan, but Watson was able then to, you know, cross check up to date information, like to Mm -hmm. the minute, of you know, this, this, um, study was just published in this journal, like five seconds ago or a minute ago, you know, over in Europe. And there's this trial of this, you know, there's this new treatment here, you know, so it just kind of, there's some variance in that sense in some cases when they looked at the comparison. Um, so I think stuff like that's kind of interesting, but I really don't know. I can't really predict how that may pan out, you know, in healthcare in general, but for oncology either, I don't know. So as far as like, you know, you see, you've seen a ton of patients, you know, just in the past four years, what have, what's been the common characteristic for patients who have done actually really well under this harsh treatment that they're going through? Like what's, what's their energy like? What's their mind? Where's their mindset? I'm, I'm really curious about mindset in something like this. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the mental game and the, the mental attitude has so much to do with how well people can, can do, um, you know, and not to say that, you know, there's like an ebb and flow to that as well. Right. Um, nobody is totally on all the time. 
Um, but I really think that when someone is motivated to do well and, you know, kind of has like that eye on the prize mentality, they're just in it to win it. And they're like, you know, they're going to do everything they can to maximize, you know, their treatment and maximize, um, you know, the, the results essentially. Mm-hmm. Like Kate, I, was I, I definitely think that has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to say, when Kate was talking about Matthew, her son, I was like, that's, that is such a motivation, you know, to do whatever it takes and to be in that, that kind of mindset where, you know, I've got to see this through, you know, I've got to live as long as possible for him, you know, like that's it. That's everything. Well, well it's, it's hard, right? Because like you, there's, you know, you, this is something you can't control, right? There's only certain things that you as the person can control, but I think realizing that and then doing that, you know, be like, all right, well, I can do this today or I can do that. You know, it just, it kind of gives you some sense of empowerment. Um, I mean, just as me looking, you know, as a provider. Um, but I think, you know, when we see people kind of say, all right, I'm done. Like, you know, I can't, can't do this anymore Then you know, it doesn't typically, you know, tend to work out that well. What were you going to say, Kate? Well, I, I think it's it's tough because you do have a right to be sad about the fact that your health is not what it used to be. But at the same time, there are things that I can do to make sure that I have a good day. So something as simple as um, drinking no more than two cups of coffee because that'll exacerbate nausea and mm-hmm. making disciplined choices about sleep and disciplined choices about putting my physical well-being. And it's funny because we talk about, especially on your podcast, you talk about well-being and self-care and optimizing that for yourself. But I've never had such an urgent need to make sure that I go to the grocery store and have healthy, fresh foods in my fridge. Mm -hmm. Um, It's literally more important than work. It's more important that I go for a walk than I um, fold the laundry. I mean, there's, it's a life and death type of thing. And it's interesting because I still have to work and we still have, we still have a real life to move forward and real bills to pay. Um, So it's it's just a really interesting place to be. I I want to stay positive, but I also want to have space to feel what I'm feeling about it and be honest about that. And I, I do think it's, it's tempting for us to kind of throw platitudes at, at, serious illnesses and and say you know that it's not supposed to be a devastating or challenging thing oh god no like that's honestly like why I wanted to have you both on the podcast because I didn't know how else to deal with it you know like this is gut-wrenching every single day I think about you every single day you know I think about Matthew and just the situation and like I feel sick about it and so I was like this is happening. This is not a unique thing. Like this is happening to so many people all over the world every single day. Like we need to talk about it. You know, we need to talk about how shitty this is and how horrible this is and how it's affecting everybody. And, you know, Joyce can say, Hey, you know, try this, or this is the latest, you know, the in treatment right now, or this is what, even just what to expect, you know, like, or even this is what you should say, or this is what you should do. Like, this is important. And I'm just so thankful that you know, you guys are both here because like I said, it, this is not a unique situation. And I'm just so glad that 
we're having this conversation to, to open that out and to lay that out. And so more people may feel inspired to talk about their own journey and their own dealing with that. You know, we know so many people in our lives who have passed from cancer and it's like, they never dealt with it, you know, or they never said what they needed to say to the, to people who passed because they were just trying to stay strong. And I think that that's bullshit. Like I'm tired of it. Like I would rather be real and open and talk about it. Well, and I'm, there's an element of you want everybody. I, my family has been, you guys have been a tremendous source of support. And in some ways I do want you all to stay strong because I want you all to surround Matthew when I'm gone with support and love. And I want you to tell him about me and I want you to be strong, present role models for him. Um, you know, I, I don't want people to be sad and, uh, you know, be unable to fulfill that, that most important role. But at the same time, the idea of the idea of leaving your family before you plan to, before you got to, you know, retire or see grandkids is certainly it's devastating. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, that was really like, we kind of covered what I wanted to cover. Um, as far as, you know, the experience of finding out and dealing with it and treatment um, and just where you were, you know, mentally and emotionally. Um, and so I kind of wanted to end with the question that I always ask on the podcast. Um, and it can be about what we've talked about or it can be about just anything. Um, I'll start with you, Kate. What's something that you've learned in life that you wish someone would have told you earlier on? Hmm. I honestly have had a very fortunate life. I really, I have no future, no future in politics because I really lived in my twenties. I have a beautiful family and a beautiful son and good relationships. I honestly feel like I got great guidance um, coming up and I've had a lot of joy. So I think just to, I think just to be kind to myself, I've been very hard on myself. I've been very demanding, um, very achievement oriented. So maybe just if, if I had just heard the relax message a little bit more, um, from my, if I could future self could tell my, my younger self to relax a little bit more, that might be a good thing, but I don't have, I truly don't have a lot of missed lessons or regrets. Um, I'm very fortunate. That's awesome. What about you, Joyce? Um, I don't know. I think on some level, I feel like, you know, there was a part of me that always knew that healthcare is what I wanted to do. And I feel like, I mean, I feel kind of, I mean, you say like before, like, oh, like, you know, it's such a hard thing. How can you do that every day? But on some level, I feel kind of blessed to be able to try to help people every day. Um, Mm -hmm. And even though, you know, this current situation freaking sucks (laughs) and it's super hard to deal with every day, like on on a personal level, like now that I have to deal with it personally, um, I feel, well, if this is my role, like, let me do this. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's, it's, 
you know, being a provider, you're always on, you know, telling people what to do. And then, you know, I'm trying to be that for my family now and then deal with it myself. So I'm just, it's, you know, it, it, it's an interesting spot to be in, but I'm just, I just want to be as helpful as I can, I guess. Well, you have been, you, um, I am very grateful for you and I love you. I love you. I love you both. <laughs> we don't love you. I'm <laughs> uh, strong. It's fine. <laughs> oh God. So if people listening to this, um, if they have questions or just want to follow your journey, Kate, what's the best way for them to um, contact you or find you? They can find me and contact me through my website at www.doccate.com. And then you're also on Instagram. I, know sure. I love your Instagram. It's um, the Dr. Kate. Okay. Well, again, I just want to thank you both for taking the time. Like we're all mothers. We're all, you know, we've all got a lot going on. Kate has freaking cancer. She's exhausted. <laughs> that's the, that's my mantra. I'm exhausted. <laughs> right? And it's, it's a really good excuse. You can never, you know, you would never have to do anything you don't want to do ever again. Oh, I've tried that. I've tried that with household chores. I've said to my husband, but, but I can't take the trash out. Cancer. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh my God. About two weeks. Oh, <laughs> come on, Shane, get it together. Yeah. You can't use that forever. well i love you both so much thank you for taking the time to do this and um, we'll just keep the conversation going guys thank you so much for stopping by and listening to this episode your support means the world to me and you are absolutely the reason why i'm doing this i found that it's my purpose to produce content that improves the world in some small way so i'm just doing that and i love it and If you resonated with something that I said, please share this episode with a friend. Please give it a five-star review on iTunes. And um, we'll just keep these conversations going because I feel like they're healing and they're helpful and they're changing the world for the better. This episode is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi offers completely non-GMO organic superfood blends that makes incorporating really good nutrition into your diet insanely easy. You literally do not have an excuse not to get your fruits and veggies anymore because they've done all the work for you. And if you use the code UNSTRESSED, you will receive 15% off your purchase at OrganifiShop.com. Lastly, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. If this is a company you haven't heard of, believe me, in the next year or two, you will. They are doing amazing things in the world of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with their hot cacao with reishi, which is something I'll drink before bed every night. And it's just so relaxing, so calming, and so good for you. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Also, if you love coffee, but you hate the way it makes you feel, like jittery, stressed, just not well, then they have a ton of uh, mushroom blends for coffee. Uh, They also have a really good matcha. So go to foursigmatic.com and use the code UNSTRESSED to save 15% off. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.